It's been said that nothing is more financially educational and entertaining than the total financial hour, except possibly two total financial hours. <gasps> you don't mean? Yep. The Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby is now two hours, Sundays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh my gosh! Great Scott! Learn about your financial power. The Total Financial Hour, uh, two hours with host Arif Halaby, Sundays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy. Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial. Hey, welcome to the show. The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Halaby. Thanks for being part of the show. We're talking about your family's finances. Of course, getting uh, getting out of debt, managing your life, trying to retire with dignity. I think that's a big deal, especially this New Year's. So happy New Year. We're coming to you live. And listen, our goal is to always kind of bring new information or at least a different look, a different point of view on how certain political information that we receive or, or rules or laws, changes, how that might impact your retirement. Because I think so many people forget that what happens in Sacramento or Washington, D.C. really does impact you. It does impact your retirement. Impacts your, your ability to save, your ability to kind of grow your wealth and be comfortable in retirement. Now, we've talked a lot about 2022, uh, the idea of getting involved, getting out there, making a difference, right? My job is to help you set up for retirement so your income cannot be canceled, right? Isn't that an amazing idea? Nobody can take away your income. I think that's powerful because if you work for a job, if you work for Disney and you say something wrong, they fire you. Now, when I say something wrong, I don't mean what we would have considered five years ago wrong. I mean, if you say the word illegal aliens, right? We just got word today. A reporter is fired. A radio broadcaster rather is fired because he referred to illegal aliens as guess what? Illegal aliens. And they fired him, right? They, they change on a dime all of the words. And if you don't stay up on, you know, the biggest changes on Wikipedia, and these son of a guns go into Webster's Dictionary, and they change words, they change meanings. They add the word, a derogatory meaning. You're like, well, it wasn't yesterday. What do you mean, a derogatory meaning? Right? So they change these words. Now they just fire this broadcaster. Tough luck. Why? Because he said the word illegal aliens. Nobody said that they were uh, not human beings. Nobody said that they weren't decent people, God-fearing people maybe. But the United States is not in a position financially, in, in, uh, infrastructure-wise, uh, housing. We are not in a position to absorb thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to this country. We're just not. 
it's not a, a weird thing, right? When the state of California's policy is to allow, ready for this, trillions of gallons of water per day. You need to understand, right? If I said the word 100, you go, oh, I can imagine 100. Yeah, 100 is 100. 10, oh yeah, sure, 10, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I say the word billions, eh, you're, you start to get a little foggy. It doesn't, there's no reference. But when I say the word trillions of gallons of water per day, Go out to the uh, go out to sea. Then you cannot tell me that the policymakers, the mayors, the governors, the the uh, city council people, the the congressmen and women from our district, the state senators, state assemblymen and women, you can't tell me any of those people give a rip about the drought. Their only goal is to do what Jimmy Carter said. Instead of fixing the problem of allowing more drilling in the United States, he said, put on a sweater and turn down this thermostat to 50 or 52 degrees, whatever it was. Right. Same thing with, hey, hey, it's not about us finding ways to bring more water into the system. Uh, just use less water. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, Governor Newsom quote leader of the pack here. Um, you know, and maybe I'm maybe I'm assuming this. But you know that the same water on Earth today was was around 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. You realize that water is either a liquid, a solid, or a gas. It recycles. You understand that? So, so help me understand why when the Sacramento River Delta, when the spring thaw melt is going to push all of that water out to sea, which used to water all of the, the vegetables and fruit trees in, this, in the Central Valley, Fresno and Bakersfield and uh, Dinuba and Reedley, all of those little farms, big farms. Re- remember that? Well, now you push it out to sea. You don't allow it to water the crops in the Central Valley. So now what do you do? You say, oh, groundwater that used to be for human consumption, now groundwater has to water the fields, the farms, has to water the orchards, instead of allowing, because why? There, there's, there must be some huge reason. I mean, there's got to be something amazing. Oh, 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 yes. Two little fishies. Two little fish. So why don't we start a breeding program for those fish and put them somewhere else? Is that hard to do? Could you not find the ability to, to put that, put those fish somewhere? I don't know. Or if we just say, hey, you know what, fish? Human beings, check, more important than you, fishy. Love you, fishies. Uh, right? Couldn't we say that? But instead, what they do is they make you say, well, you're going to have to use less water. So for those of you that are going to stay in California when you retire, or you're stuck here in California because you don't have a choice, meaning your job is here, right? You work for a city, county, state, or the entertainment industry. Those are all wonderful jobs, but you can't take it and go somewhere else, right? There's, there's only so many places in the country that your, your particular position exists. So you're stuck. Surprise, you're going to have to pay a lot more money. Have you not seen the Department of Water and Power bills lately? And for those of you that were suckered, and yes, I'm going to say that because I have family members, suckered into getting solar energy because you're never going to have a solar bill, an electric bill again, no electric bill, ha, ha, ha. Take the vaccine. Ha, ha, ha. You'll never get COVID again. Anytime any politician says something with certainty, I'm like, "Mm, 
I'm going to think about that. Anytime they come out and say, absolutely, never, no, won't, ever, always, I think, probably, I'm going to think twice about that. I'm just going to back up and I'm going to go a little slower. Because here's what the DWP did. They required you to be part of their generating system, meaning they did not have to go out and create a new generating system. They didn't have to create a new uh, power supply. They, they didn't have to create anything. You did it. It's on your roof. Your roof is now one of their electric generating stations. And in exchange, you were supposed to get free electricity if you used more than, or if you produce more than you used. Oh, that doesn't include the usage tax for those that are disabled. Okay, great. I'm, I'm going to help those. Oh, it doesn't include the tax for those that are illegal. Oops, did I say that? It doesn't include the tax to help those that are just underprivileged. I don't know what the underprivileged means. I, I, I mean, I get the idea. But when Condoleezza Rice didn't have running water as a female black that was abused... And rises to where she has when Oprah didn't have a family structure and was abused and rises to where she has. When Colin Powell and his history. Right. I, I, I don't know. I get it. They're, they're one out of a hundred or a million. OK. So that's what you should be focusing on. You don't bring the rest of the community down so that you can make sure that people don't have to grow or change or be better. So they don't feel bad. How about you keep the standards high and then you encourage everybody else to meet them? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be an incredible system where you say, all right, folks, we're building houses. We need more roads. I understand the, the uh, mountains between Simi Valley and Santa Clarita, the mountains between the San Fernando Valley and Santa Clarita. We're going to have to build. I'm sorry about it. Sorry. I mean, I get it. There's some fish and frogs and some turtles, but we're going to have to build a four-lane road, two in each direction. Why? Because what if there's another earthquake and that interchange 5 and 14 collapses? What if? Wouldn't we need another way to bring goods and services from Seattle and Canada and, and Alaska down the 5 freeway? Wouldn't we need another way for communities to transport and, and families to visit? Oh, but it's about the environment. At least 20 years that I know of, there were plans to have roads that leave the, the 126, I'm talking about Northern Los Angeles County. So for those of you that aren't there, I'll get to the rest of it in just a second. From Northern LA County and bringing it down into the rest of the valley. That's important because we saw what happens when we made a mistake called the 1994 earthquake. We had one way in, one way out. Well, that was too bad, wasn't it? Oh, but not if you were wealthy because what did you do? You just bought another house or you rented the suite at the hotel down wherever. Or some of you, and you know who you are, rented helicopters to fly yourself home. I know. I know some of you did that. But don't worry. Oh, it's about the children, children and old people. My point is, if you're going to stay here, we are creating. And it's not a question of when or if. It's a question of when. We are creating a problem that is going to cost you more money. It already is with your energy. Because the Department of Water and Power destroyed two, at least two, of their natural gas, recently built, extremely efficient, very in inexpensive. They're two natural gas generating machines. And it created electricity that hit the grid. 
instantly. It's called like an Insta start or an Insta generator. You push a button and in just a few minutes, you had massive amounts of electricity that kept us from having a brownout. But the Department of Water and Power uh, down the woke side, right? Look, one plus one is two. People need electricity. So you just give them electricity. Instead, look at the cost. I don't know what's going to happen for the Department of Water and Power. I think what you should do, listen, everybody, go to TransparentCalifornia.com. TransparentCalifornia.com. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. I don't care if you donate it to uh, donate to it or not. It's not my thing. It's not my thing to push, rather. But here's what it means. Transport California, put in Department of Water and Power, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. See the wages And then there's a section that says pensions. So one is salaries. That's why they're still working. One is pensions. Click on that. See what the pensions are for a secretary or a mid-level person. Not even, not even a, oh, the director of, no, 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 none of those people. Just, just the managers, people. See what their pensions are. Where do you think that money comes from? Uh Uh-huh. Rate payers. But when I have family that has to make choices whether or not they're going to pay their electric bill and their water bill or whether they're going to buy new clothes or take a vacation or or do anything interesting except now pay their electric bill because it's two and three times what it was just a half a decade ago. And, oh, P.S., they have solar energy, right? You put solar panels on your roof. You bought into it. You thought it was the thing. And privately, solar Installation companies will tell you it's turned into be a little bit of a funny thing. Tiny, tiny bit. A little bit of funny business. Nobody's sure. Nobody really knows. Not sure. Is it really a thing? I don't know. Does it make a difference? Mm, maybe. I don't know what's going to happen to the energy in Southern California. I worry. I worry because they're using politics instead of common sense. And it's chasing you guys away. And it should. Because it's middle class people and it's upper middle class. It's the higher income that pay the taxes in the state. I want you to know that. 43%, last report, 43%. This does not include illegal aliens, by the way, illegal immigrants. Only only those that, that are filing a tax return. So some of them have a tax ID number, but not all of them. Very few, comparatively. 43% pay zero income tax. Zero income tax in the state of California. And who do you think is leaving the state of California? The middle class, the upper middle class, the wealthy? Who do you think? Yeah, that's right. It's not the folks that are in the uh, lower income. This is a great place to be if you're broke, just so you know. It's a great place to be if you're starving, you're hungry. Yet the amount of food at the food pantries and the dirty little secret during the holidays, I know some of you are going to be mad that I'm sharing this. I get it. But the dirty secret in the holidays is the amount of warehouses full of toys for tots and extra toys. We've had them for a decade. When I was a policeman and we were collecting toys, the guys would tell us privately, like, look, man, we have way too many toys. Do you know anybody that wants them, needs them? It's not as if you give them a toy and it goes down the street into a little child's hands. The amount of extra toys that that organization very efficiently and honorably, I might add, collects just means we have a lot left over, meaning the generosity of those Americans versus the need, it outweighs. 
So you, we're very generous people. I, I appreciate that. I want you to consider a couple of things. There's some amazing organizations that give food, uh, which I think is the, is the challenge now. When you see, what, 30 eggs or 17, 16, 17, $18 for 30 eggs? Hello? And you guys still voted for the Democrats in the state of California. You still haven't put two and two together, right? I guess that's part of the deal. If they don't teach you math, you can't put two and two together, which is, huh, Democrats haven't lost an election in the state of California uh, 14 years. I think it's 14 years, 12, 14 years. There's never been a Democrat who has run for an office who has lost in statewide office. I don't mean regional you know, congressmen or, or city council in some of the more conservative Orange County areas. State office, 100% of the state of California is controlled by one political party. And do you think it's people that put two and two together, go high gas prices, high energy prices for my home, oh, high eggs and meat and food and you know dairy, uh, must be those son of a guns, let's throw them out. Nope, they don't, do they? It's what you get when you don't teach math, when you don't teach... One plus one is two. All right, a couple of things here that I want to go over with you. Some of you have got gift cards for Christmas and for Hanukkah and for the holidays. I think that's wonderful. Gift cards is an amazing thing, right? I think it allows you to buy what you want. I think it's less personal. For sure it is. I'm not a a fan of giving them exclusively, like here's a card that's pre-printed by somebody else. I write your name on the envelope and here's a gift card. I don't I don't appreciate those. I understand somebody took the time to do it, but that's not my thing. I'd prefer you write two sentences in an empty card than have something pre-printed by a lady who works in her you know, apartment in Manhattan who kicks out 75 of these a day. That's not my thing. That's me. But gift cards, what do you do with them? All right, I'm going to grab your pen and paper because I'm going to give you some things. This is important because one of the things I'm going to give you is a couple of websites. Now, listen, I don't endorse these websites. They're not my websites, but I want you to look at them as an option, okay? Because there's a couple I'm going to give you. First, I'll give you our phone number now that you have your pen and paper ready. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. Okay. Gift cards. About half of all Americans right now have an unused gift card. And the average, believe it or not, when you add them all is $175 per person. Now, what that means is some of you have two, three, four, five hundred $500, and some of you might have a $25 gift card. So if you have something like $100, 200, 300, you, you better go to that store. You have to use it. Now they used to expire. They used to deteriorate over time, kind of denigrate in value. Not anymore. Laws have changed and passed, and uh, they have to still offer it. But here's the problem. For organizations, they can still charge a fee. When you activate the gift card, it's a Visa gift card for $50. It will really cost $2.95. Now, companies know that about a third of all gift cards are never going to be redeemed. They get thrown away. They get lost. People just don't go to that particular store. They don't know what to do with them. But a company has to carry this on its books for a long time. It's very difficult. If some of you run a business, you know what it's like to have this liability and outstanding. For for employees, for you guys that don't understand that side of the business, let me explain to you how it works maybe in in a language you would understand, and it's this. You have 100 hours of vacation and sick time on the books at your job. 
That's a liability. That means that any time when you quit, the employer has to have that money sitting aside in a savings account earning zero interest and they have to write you a check, right? So it, it's kind of like a reservoir of dollars that the company can't touch and you get to decide when you touch it. The company has no choice on when it is, is redeemed, right? Sick time, it could be sick time. Vacation time could be vacation time. So these changes could happen. All right. So that's dangerous for a company. I'm not a fan of it. I, as, as a person who runs a few companies, I can tell you it's not an easy thing to have that liability sitting on my books. So when it comes to, you just have to plan for it, of course, but it does hinder a little bit of your development. But here's where it changes. There are third-party organizations, websites, that allow you to cash in that gift card. This is pretty fun because you can cash in the gift card. Now, it used to be, remember, the laws were changed. Politics were such that nobody cared, and then suddenly people did. Added to some bills, and now they can't denigrate the, the value. However, a third party can. A third party can say, oh, you have a $100 gift card to XYZ store, and you're probably never going to go there, or it's not your thing, or maybe they don't have one close to you, so... Now, remember, you can still use most gift cards online. So even if it's a company or an organization that used to be close to your home, you lived over there, now you live over here, and you're probably not going to shop there much, they often will allow you to use it online. So consider that. But if you don't, if you say, I'm never going to use this, I prefer the cash, I need the cash (laughs) to go buy eggs, right? Maybe you need the cash. You can go to a third-party website. It's called Raise, R-A-I-S-E dot com, Raise dot com, or CardCash.com. Those are just a couple, CardCash.com and Raise.com. What they do is they allow you to go in and exchange it. You can buy gift cards, you can sell them, you can exchange them. But just like if you were buying stocks where you're going to buy them at a higher price than if you sell it, or gold coins, you're going to buy it at a higher price than if you were to turn around and sell it the next day, the spread, the delta, the difference, that's a profit for the company. Right? So, for example, a $100 gift card you might sell back to the company for $0.75, cents, or sorry, $75, right? $0.75 cents on the dollar. So it's a $100 gift card. You give them a $100 gift card. They give you $75 in cash. I come around the next day and I go, oh, I want that gift card. They say, oh, Eric, you can buy it because, remember, I get to buy it at a discount. So I don't buy it for $100. I might buy it for $95. But remember, they just paid 75 for it. So the $20 is their profit, right? You might think that's okay, and maybe I do. I go, great. I get to have $75 in cash instead of $100 I'm never going to use. It's just sitting in my, my wallet. But I would prefer to have the cash. Great, you can do that. And you can buy them from this site as well. So consider that. Sometimes people do. But you have to be very careful. You have to make sure the gift card still works because sometimes people will, you know, rub it off or they'll use the gift card code. They'll buy something online. They'll sell it back. So, you know, these companies, these third-party sites are supposed to be protected, uh, you know, when it comes to making these mistakes. They're not supposed to make these mistakes. If there's a scam out there, they're supposed to catch it. Don't know if they do. I can't endorse that. I don't know. I just know they're popular sites quoted by a lot of uh, CNBC and, and uh, MSNBC uh, website, right? These are important. 
business sites. I don't care about their politics, but the business side of things. All right, so consider that. Hey, another part, guys, that's changed in these rules. Now we're in 2023. The Trump tax laws have changed. In 2026, the the low rates are going to go away. So if it's time to convert some of your money to a Roth IRA, you can do that. But remember this, you're still going to pay tax on that money. So you go to work, you put money into a retirement account, your company matches it. You can use your money up until uh, today, used to be, you would put your money in as a Roth IRA, meaning you already pay the taxes on it. You don't get the tax break today. So you better have other tax breaks today. Because by putting it into a Roth IRA, you don't receive the tax breaks anymore. However, ready for this? You never pay tax on that money again. Not when it grows, not when you take it out, nothing. But the company match has always been pre-tax. Now, after today, you can say, hey, company, when you match, tax me on that money, but put it over into that Roth section. So yes, I'm going to pay tax on your company match. It's just going to be part of my wages. However, never tax me again on that money. Okay. Now, what? why would you do that? Well, number one, if you are going to retire in the state of California, it's a better option because we know taxes in the state of California have to go up. So the known, which is what you're going to pay taxes on now, is better. Usually at the beginning of your your younger years, rather, your house mortgage at the beginning is mostly interest. That's the only thing you get a write-off on. When you file your taxes, you get a write-off. It's on the interest. So when you make a house payment, some of that goes to principal, which is reducing what you borrowed. You borrowed 300000 It reduces that, but a very small amount. The rest of it is interest. The interest is the only thing that you have a tax write-off. Well, in your, your early years of putting money into your, your retirement account, surprise, guess what? It's all interest. However, now you're retired. Oh, I only have six years left on my mortgage. Zero write-offs. Almost zero. Why? Because it's mostly nearly all principal. So here's a big chunk of money that hasn't been taxed yet from the company's match, and you have to pay tax on it. So I like you doing Roth programs earlier. The same thing. When you're younger, you have younger children. So children count as a write-off. Dependents count as a write-off. When you're older, you have less likelihood of having dependents. Now, maybe your parents might move in or your in-laws, and they could become a dependent. That happens. And that could, in fact, make a change, you know, now and later. Kids now, parents later as dependents. So that could be a wash. So just consider that as an option. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me after the break. Mr. Trump's taxes... They were released. What does that mean to you? We'll be right back. I'm Eric Halaby on the Total Financial Hour. This is your place for news, talk, and information. AM 870. Eric Halaby. We'll be right back. Eric has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Eric Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Eric makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. 
Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for staying with me. The Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. Uh, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. One of those is Mr. Trump, President Trump's tax returns. Now, what I don't understand is a couple of things. There's this real big push because of the hatred of the man. Very few decent Americans, and I say decent because that's a qualifier. There are some indecent or, or despicable. I don't know. Maybe there's kinder words. That still get the point across, but, but but very few decent Americans would say he didn't do good things for the country. And and many of us would say great things. Okay, if you don't like him as a man, I get it. I spoke to a lady, very educated, CPA, conservative country uh, that she's a part of, right? In, in, the, in the sense that she's from the Midwest. Had a good conversation with her. She said, Eric, the first time he was elected, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for Hillary. I hated her. But I didn't vote for Mr. Trump because I thought he was a uh, womanizer and a bigot. Middle-class, suburban, white woman, just like they said, didn't vote for Mr. Trump, didn't like him. But she was still conservative. She said, then I started paying attention. I went, gosh, they're picking on him a lot. Let me see what he's really about. And then she started, said she started paying attention to the politics and saying, look at what he's done for the country here. Look at how many people have gone back to work there. Look at what he's done to bring manufacturing back to the United States. And she said she has enthusiastically supported him for his reelection. And was clear to indicate that everybody else she knew that was of a similar, you know, mom of many children, a professional woman in her 40s, many of them said same thing. We're done with this craziness of, of hating the man. Forget it. We're electing a president, not a saint. And so we started seeing this overall push by the left that hated him even more. So here, here we go. We're going to create this class warfare. We're going to talk about his tax returns. Let me be very clear to my, my left-leaning friends, and I will tell this to them, and I do. And they get upset. When they calm down, they take a deep breath, and they put on their big boy pants. I say, but I'm telling the truth, aren't I? And they said, you're right. And here's what I say. So what if they release President Trump's tax returns? Well, now they have. But what I said is, so what? So what if they, you can't understand them? You, you can't even understand yours. You hire somebody to do your little piddly tax return compared to ta- uh, President Trump. Right? He has multiple corporations in many different states, state tax returns, national tax returns, foreign tax returns. He has layers of corporations That's what you're supposed to do as a successful American, right? You're supposed to build your business, employ people, build wealth, create wealth for your employees, allow them to have the American dream, which is whatever their dream is, right? The American dream is not my dream for them. It's their dream for them. And that's what he was supposed to do was to create wealth across the country, across his employees. And then they release his tax returns. So when and how are you going to pay any attention to it? Only through the left-wing pundits, meaning his tax returns are going to say whatever MSNBC tells you they say. They will bring on an expert, uh, uh, 
liberal Democrat, Trump hater expert, to come in and talk about, and he only paid 400000 200000 $1 million. They will not say that for his four years, he donated more than $2 million to other charities uh, and organizations. That's why he didn't pay taxes, because taxes are earned income. Right? There's different types of taxes. I'm going to discuss the earned income for a moment. But earned income, when you're president, you're not running another company, so you're not paid. So his taxes while he was president are probably going to be very little simply because he didn't take an income. And they would say, huh, well, why didn't he take an income? Well, see, then they have to answer the question. Well, because, uh, you go, excuse me, sir, what was that again? You say, well, but, but what did you just say? Well, he donated his money to the uh, American uh, Negro College Fund. He donated his money to uh, veterans uh, associations. He vet- donated his paycheck. Oh, so he's not the man. The man, I'm not talking about the president. The man, he's not that evil son of a gun that we thought he was. Right. So if they have to. So so if the MSNBC or CNN pundits go out there or ABC News go out there and tell you the reason he didn't pay any taxes on the income side is because he didn't have income because he donated it as president of the United States. I don't know if anybody anybody ever has ever. Including when millionaires were presidents. I don't know if anybody that, that did it. Maybe they have. Maybe when you made a dollar a year or something like that, when you were you know George Washington or when we didn't have any money as a treasury, maybe he did. I don't know. You see, so they have to bring that up. So the reason the Trump tax returns are important isn't because you understand them, because I love you all, but you can't understand your own taxes. Where you have a job, I have retirement income, I have a pension. You can't. You're not a bad person. But look in the mirror and say, I got to hire somebody to do my taxes. So you're going to hire somebody called Watch Your Favorite News Channel, and they'll tell you what's in or isn't in the taxes. And you will believe them. I couldn't understand his taxes, and I'm pretty darn good at it. And we have a few corporations, and we do all those things, but not even close to that level. And by the way, I pay a lot more taxes than than he does. But I don't have a team of lawyers or accountants or international corporations in many states. across. We don't do that. It's not my job. So my point is the release of his tax returns are absolutely irrelevant. Because you will see them through the filter of your favorite news channel or your pundit. Right? Because you're not going to be able to read them. You're not a bad person. But we can't read our own. And I don't know if the tax rules are are, uh, created that way. Right? So that you have to have professionals. Who was it? Last couple of presidents. We're going to make your tax return. I think even President Trump said this. We're going to do it so half of Americans can file it on a card. Right? You send in a little card. Little three by five card, poof, you send it in, it's done. We're going to create it so Americans can do their own taxes. All right, well, maybe. But you have way too many people. Instead of the, the Biden administration trying to go down the simplification road, they say they're going to hire 86,000 new ta- IRS agents. I think that's just the opposite. We're going to make it so confusing, the only way you'll sleep at night is if you have the ability to hire somebody to do your taxes or you will not be able to sleep right i mean isn't that their isn't that their avenue so i want you to be clear on that all right you heard me talk about social security with americans you guys this year my social security clients and and you guys that are getting your checks 
Within a month or so, you're going to get 8.7% pay raise. 8.7. It's a big number, right? So just do the math. If your check is $2,000 a month times 8.7, that's about $170 extra a month in your pocket. All right. Nice. So you think. You think that's the good news, don't you? Yeah, I'm getting a pay raise on Social Security, that 170 bucks times 12. It's nice. You understand that it may be the trigger that pushes you into the next tax bracket that requires all of your Social Security to be taxed, or at least half of it anyway, at a much higher level, or 85% of it to be taxed. Meaning the IRS did not move up the numbers in which require you to pay taxes on your social security check. What normally happens is if you make it under a certain amount of money through their formula, you don't pay taxes on your social security check at all. If you make a little bit more than that up to a certain amount, then only half of your social security is subject to your income tax rate. If you make more than that amount, then 85% of your social security is subject to income tax. So what they did is they moved up the social security income, but they didn't move up the brackets. So now you are subject to having more of your income taxed. Those of you who think, ha ha ha, I have an high $170 more paycheck. Wait till you see when you file your taxes in 2024. See how much of your income tax, uh, sorry, of your income is taxed. When I recommend you go and speak with a CPA or an accountant, somebody who is more than just the free person at the senior center. Now, look, if you don't have anything other than Social Security income and a relatively small pension or something, then it is what it is. You can't really make any changes. You can't add money, take money. There's no deductions. Very difficult. So go to the free person at the senior center. That's fine. Or the YMCA. Right? You can do that. But if you have any kind of investments, rental property, stock bond, mutual funds, annuities, anything like that, I'm going to recommend you seek the help of a professional. I know it stinks having to pay for them because they're not cheap. Three, $400, probably 500 maybe coming up with inflation. So you have to make sure it's worth it, right? That the dollars make sense. But my point is, whatever leeway you might've had before, wherever you were kind of riding the edge or, because it's what we do with our clients. We meet with their CPAs, either on phone or, or in Zoom or in person. We say, what's the number to keep them below? They say, have them withdraw no more than this. We go, got it. And we move that number around. And we keep it so that in some cases, none of their social security is even taxed. That's a great thing, isn't it? But this is all with the help of their professionals, their, their tax professionals. Enrolled agent even is, is much, much more solid in my opinion than you doing it yourself. So having somebody involved. Here's the three levels. Number one is a tax preparer. Often your H&R Block or some of the, the folks that are, whatever it is, Hewitt, right? Simple taxes, no big deal. Fill in the forms, fill in the blanks, be done. Then you have an enrolled agent. An enrolled agent is pretty serious. They're, they, they're a professional. Their job is to take that job with continuing education, with regular renewing of, of certifications and on and on. 
Then the next level is a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. So maybe you don't rise to the level of a CPA, but I would say an enrolled agent is probably a good start for you. Okay, here's the other thing that I want you to look at. There's some adjustments, and this is pretty important. Ready for this? Some adjustments in the estate tax uh, world. The estate tax uh, that you can leave on to your children with this new omnibus bill has gone up. A lot of changes have changed, have gone up. The gift tax exclusion for 2023 that you can leave to your children, this is annually, by the way, is $17,000. So I can give $17,000 from my social security number to my kid's social security number, right? That pipeline, that, that line is $17,000 from me to my son, for example. I can give another seventeen from me to my grand, uh, my uh, uh, daughter-in-law. My wife can give seventeen to our son. My wife can give seventeen thousand to our daughter-in-law. So, in the end of the story, it's up to sixty-eight thousand dollars a year. That's a lot of money. We're not going to do it. So, I know, kids, if you're listening, don't get your hopes up for this one. But just know it's possible. Some of you, especially towards the ends of of your life, your goal is to kind of distribute your assets to see how the kids handle it. I like that. I think doing something like that is a very good thing. One, to see how they handle the money. Right? I like to do that because here's a taste. Let's see how you handle it. Here's a little diblet. It doesn't have to be 64000 It can be 50000 whatever it is. Let's see what you do with it. Oh, do you squander it? Do you buy things that go down in value? Do you buy liabilities instead of assets? Are you somebody that runs around and, and just do, does, uh, oh, I don't know, frivolous things or do you invest it? Do you become wise with your money? Right? Are you somebody who goes along and says, I'm going to create wealth. I'm going to create some sort of uh, pass on system for my kids or my grandkids. If you do that, then you're entitled when I die to get a greater amount of money from my, from my uh, trust. But you see, I did a test run, didn't I? The last two, three, four, five years of my life, I did a test run. I gave you a little bit. Let's see what you did with it. Gave you a little bit. Let's see what you did with it. Tempt, tempt, tempt. Here's a little bit more. I think those of you that plan on giving all of your money to your children when you pass away and you have not done a test or seen how they have handled wealth, I think you're making an enormous mistake. In 27 years of this business as a financial professional, 10 years as a trader and investor beforehand, right? So what is that? 37 years? My word. It's kind of what I do. It's funny. People say, oh, yeah, if all you ever talk about, I'm like, well, it's just kind of what I do. It's kind of who I am. Sorry. Besides being a believer, besides being a a strong Christian, I mean, this is what I do. So of course I'm going to talk about it. Of course it's what I do. It's what I see. But this is important. You don't. It's not your job. It's not what you do. So I don't blame you. But here's the dirty little secret. Now, when you hear me, you can't say you didn't know. You can't say you didn't know that leaving all of that money throws your kids into a spiral, whether it's a drug addiction or an alcoholic few, uh, or just a spending spree or a frivolous, uh, dangerous environment. We've actually had friends that had inherited money and then got a little extra from other places, went out and bought a house way too big for their britches, 
because they wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And then they turned around and they lost it. Basically, they had to pay 100000 to get out of it. It's the, is similar to me in, in, in the sense that I say lost it. That's what I think. And had to downsize to a home that's more appropriate to their income and their assets and their financial intelligence, really. I mean, their IQ, financially speaking, is not in a big old fancy house. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean they're dirty or ugly. I mean, come on now. If you have a daughter, your only daughter, or a son, or like many folks here in Southern California, one boy, one girl, right? And, and then you're saying, oh, I'm going to give them everything. Who's the spouse they're going to marry? Maybe you already have. Maybe they're already married. Do you know them? Do you like them? What has the spouse done with money? Because they're the ones that sleep in the same bed. They're the ones that have a lot more influence. It's dangerous to leave all of your wealth, even if your kids have been trained, but they have chosen a spouse that has not been trained financially. Who do you think they're going to listen to? I mean, especially if they're not a, a strong personality, right? So my point is, I love this $17,000 a year in increase. I don't know if I would do all 17. I think you can start with something. You can do 10,000. How do you spend it? Let's see what you do with it. Oh, I'm going to pay off my student loans. Mm, probably not a good idea. Next. Oh, I'm going to pay off my credit card debt. Mm, nah, next. Now you might say, well, wait a second, Arif. It's 32% interest. Or wait a second, Arif. All that credit uh, student loan debt is, is holding her back. No. Because you see, the judgment, the habits, the ability to have gotten into debt was not an instant decision. It, they thought about it. And they came up with the conclusion that getting into credit card debt was a good thing. Or certainly not a very, very bad thing. Because if they thought it was a very, very bad thing and they did it, then you better give them nothing. If they thought about it and thought it was a good thing, which is most likely the case because they're going to justify it, then you have to undo that thinking. You have to, quote, re-educate them, financially speaking, as to why spending money they don't have on something that's going to go down in value or, heaven forbid, you pay for a meal on your credit card and you don't pay it off when you get the credit card. You understand the effects of the meal have been gone, usually in 24 or 48 hours. It's over. You don't even remember what it tastes like unless you took a picture of it. Many of you do. Put it on your Instagram. I don't remember what it tasted like, but darn it, I'm still paying for this meal three months ago. If their judgment has led them to think that this is a good thing, I'm telling you, you have to re-educate them before you give them more money. It's like saying, oh, look at that cute little fire. Oh, that's, that's a cute. Oh, it's nice and warm. Look at that fire. Hey, uh, Junior, go get that five-gallon of gas can. And do me a favor. Just pour the whole thing on it. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. You see how well she can manage that little, that little fire? Yeah, it doesn't get out of control. Has it burned down the house? So I'm going to put more gas. You wouldn't do that. Sounds silly. But when you guys leave money to your children without the thought process of teaching them how to handle it, they have seen you, and maybe you've done amazing things. Maybe you came from nothing. But a recent quote I heard uh, was incredible and accurate, and it explains a lot. It was one of the missing links that I didn't understand a lot, both in my personal life, for sure, 
and in the life of my clients. And it's when, when the uh, interviewer asked this gentleman, so how can you explain? I had three children, all three of them, same parents, raised in the same family, raised in the same home, and they all three have turned out differently financially. What, what do you explain? It's got to be nature versus nurture. They saw it. And he said, well, let me stop for a minute. You didn't raise your three kids in the same family. It was a completely different family. The oldest one, when you were young, when you were struggling and you were working and you never were a parent before, so you were kind of doing things for the first time and not sure you overdid or underdid just because that's what we do as a parent. You're just trying to figure it out. So that particular person is raised in one side of a family. When the second one comes along, you see the first one was raised as an only child. That's a different person. The second one comes along was never an only child. The second child came along, had to learn to share right from the word go, had to learn the ability that mom and dad have figured things out. They can't be suckered anymore as a, as a parent, right? When you're a child, you're like, oh, you can get by on your parents. After the second kid, you're like, ha, 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 I know what you're up to, junior, pretending to sleep. No, you got to go to sleep, right? The second one sometimes can't get, get away with a lot of things. But financially, the family's in a little bit better situation usually. And the third one comes along, absolutely has to learn to share. Usually, they carry him around everywhere. They lift him up. They answer for him. They do things for him because everybody wants to be helpful because helpfulness was rewarded. What a good brother. What a good sister. So a lot of things were done or said for that third person. And the parents have now figured out being a parent pretty well. They got it down. Financially, they're in a much better situation. There's not a lot of no's. No, we can't afford it. No, we're not going to do that. No, let's wait until next Friday when I'm paid again. It doesn't happen a lot with a third one. That explains a lot, you guys. So if you think you're going to die and give money, real estate, property, values, gold, dollars, retirement accounts, whatever, to your children all three of them, and think all three of them are going to do the same thing without you doing some intervention and effort, I think you're wrong. And I believe I have the evidence of, uh, I think we're up to maybe eight, eight or 9,000 people have come through my office over the last 27 years, about 110 to 120 a month, something like that. I, I believe I have the evidence. To say you have a family of two, three, four, five, and some are amazing, some are in trouble, some are drug addicts, some are incredibly successful. And then you have other families where education-wise, they've achieved great things. Marriage-wise, all of them have been married 20, 30 years plus. Their children are successful. They learned how to pass on. You see, your goal should be to teach your children to teach. Don't teach your children to learn. You see, in 2023, be deliberate about passing on your knowledge of wealth and success and be honest about not knowing or understanding certain things. If you want us to help, we do that. Sometimes we put on classes where we teach financial basics, where we go over, here's what it's going to take to succeed financially. Here's what it's going to take for you to, to get through a position in life where you are able to maintain wealth generationally. Kids all read the same book. 
get the spouses on board. And if they don't have a spouse now, teach them how to select the proper spouse. You're never going to miss. <laughs> I told my kids, just let me do two choices. That's it. I only want to make two decisions for you. The career that you choose and the spouse that you choose. That's it. I only want to choose those two things. <sighs> so far, nobody's bought into that. So we have to teach them along the way, don't we? Stay with me. Second hour, your emails. TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. We'll be right back. I'll retire comfortably Thanks to Arif Halaby Now every dollar's got a job to do Arif makes your money work for you Learn about financial power The Total Financial Hour Learn about financial power The Total Financial Hour Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. Appreciate you being part of the show. This is the second hour of you, really. That's why we have our second hour of the show. Uh, let me give you the email address. It's Arif, A-R-I-F, Arif at TFSWealth.com. That's Arif at TFSWealth.com. It's a place for you to send emails, your questions. Sometimes I answer them directly. Sometimes I get a chance to, to run them on the show, and, and I appreciate it. Sometimes I don't answer them on the show, and I want to explain why. Uh, it's because it's not something that I, I think is uh, broad enough to appeal to a lot of people. It's specific to you. So I appreciate it. I'll answer you directly or have you, you know, a phone call or we'll have you pop in or whatever it is. Uh, but if it's something that I think, wow, a lot of folks could benefit from this or man, I am seeing this over and over again over the last few weeks or months, uh, then I'll bring it up to the attention of the audience and I do that. So I appreciate your respect and your understanding in that area. L- look, your emails tell me what you're thinking and I, and I want you to understand that that makes a big deal uh, to me and to our practice, because I want you to be a part of the show. I want you to explain to me what you're thinking because, uh, you know, we see anywhere between four and six, sometimes seven people a day, seven clients a day, couples, whatever it is. And that could be a lot. But when you come into the office, you see me, there isn't a team of 10 people that we rotate you to when you meet Joe the first time back in the corner. No, no, no. My staff helps with scheduling. They do a lot of the administrative paperwork behind the scenes they handle a lot of the follow-up and, and those kinds of things. But when it comes to whatever planning we're supposed to do or whatever conversations or whatever the structure looks like to look at your account or to, to make decisions or recommendations, that's me. That's what I do. So I appreciate you being part of the show and I appreciate you coming in and trusting us with your finances. Uh, a lot of you did. About 275, I think, was a, a total client base last year uh, in 2022. That's a big number for us. It's some of the most that we've ever had, and it's because of you, and it's because of Dennis Prager, and because of Larry Elder, and the whole team that make what we do very important in your life. We also looked at the amount of money that we saved, you're not going to believe this, for our clients. The S&P 500 was down 20%. That means if you started the year with $100,000, today you have 80000 Now, most of you didn't just buy the S&P 500 fund. No, no, no. 
most of you, what you did is you put money in different mutual funds. And that means the managers that were trying to buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell inside of those mutual funds, they own companies and they're buying and selling the internal companies. Now, if they guessed correctly, maybe you're down less than 20%. In fact, you might even be up a little bit. But 90, I think it's 96% was the last number, 94, 96, basically nine out of 10, 10, nine and a half out of 10 managers did not beat the S&P 500, which means most of you are down a lot more than 20%. Instead of having only 80,000 in your account, you might have 70 or 75 if you're lucky. So what about our clients? Ready for this? We saved our clients right in the neighborhood of around $80 million that would have been poof, gone somewhere. Look, your broker might have it. Your, your Wall, Wall Street, quote, professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Professionals. I always say, so if you're a professional and you stole, you stole my money, what does that mean? Right? Oh, no, we didn't steal it. We invested it because of the market, the way the volatility, right? They're going to use big words. In fact, we're dealing with this right now. I want to tell you how good these guys are. Like you don't even have a clue, a clue how good you have to be to convince somebody to stay with you or to give you more money when they just lost your money. Those are some pretty, I think they should be negotiating some of the, I don't know, the ballistic missile stuff or the Iran uh, hostage things that we have going. These are some amazing people. Pick up some of your best brokers, stock market guys and gals who have convinced Americans to keep giving them their money. Oh, and by the way, we lost your money, but just don't worry about that. Forget what's, don't don't look to the left. Don't, don't look over there. Look at this fancy new product I have. And we have an expectation of earning an average rate of return of 14% over. Blah, 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 blah. All I care about is this. Mr. And Mrs. Broker, I just have a question. Listen, I'm not that. This is how I would do it. I'm just not that smart. So here's my question. If I put in $100,000 and it goes down in value, do you still get paid? No, no, no. I get it. I get it. Fancy word, big word, prospectus, average rate of return. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. If I put in $100,000 and it goes down to eighty, did you still get paid? And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to say, so then what am I hiring you for? Just to not lose more money? Because I'll tell you what, I'll put it in a savings account. I'll take a, I'll take 100000 and I'm going to take $15,000 out and I'm going to blow it on something. And I actually have more money in my account, but I got to have something nice. I don't know, a fancy car or, or television, a couple of televisions. I don't know, whatever you can get worth $15,000. Because Mr. and Mrs. Broker, you stole my money. No, I didn't steal it, Eric. That's a big word. Okay. All right, listen. You took it out because I signed something that has words written in four-point font in gray or beige, very faint letters with big, fancy words written by massive amounts of lawyers. And on the other side of the equation, because you know it's unequal, on the other side of the equation is a, a plumber or an architect or, or a police officer, somebody who's brilliant at their job, but has no clue how to read what teams of lawyers, compliance professionals put together. But in those forms that you sign with your Wall Street professionals, uh, it says we can charge you any fee we want. We can take away your money. And oh, by the way, if we lose it, 
tough cookies. Yeah, that's what it's called. That's what they do. So ready for this? Of those dollars, we took zero fees from your money. Yep, zero. Well, Eric, if you don't do this for free, you're right, I don't. I don't. I'm a good guy. I give away a lot of money, but I don't do this for free. Nope. So how did I get paid? Very simple. The company is going to make more money than they give you. Just the way it is. Sometimes you'll get as much as they make, sometimes more, but they will always make a profit. No difference than if you walk into a bank, you don't say, hi, Mr. Teller, here's a dollar. Hi, Mr. Branch Manager, here's $2. Hi, Mrs. Uh, Financial uh, Advisor, here's $3. You're not doing that. You don't give the security guard $2 or the branch manager. You don't give her 4 bucks. Well, but how are they paid? When you deposit $10,000 into a CD, it still says 10000 How are those people paid? How is the electricity paid? Very simple. It's because they're going to pay you whatever. Let's call it 2% interest in a CD. And then somebody else comes in and buys a new car, 6%. Somebody else comes and gets a new house, 5%. A visa, 35%. Meaning they're going to charge more money than they give you. So the bank is going to always make more than they give you. It's called the spread. That's how they pay for all those branch locations, the great television commercials, the football, the, the, you know, the college bowl series is sponsored by Chase Bank. Chase, Chase Stadium. Oh, what is Chase? A, a philanthropic organization? Of course not. They're in a business. They're a bank. Their job is to make money. So they make money off of the difference between what they pay you and what they charge somebody for a new boat or a new plane or a new car. Insurance companies are very similar. They're the only two institutions, by the way, insurance companies and banks. Both are insured. Both have protections. Both have guarantees where they put money into the economy and take money out of the economy. Put money in, take money out. So this is important because if you're going to trust your life savings somewhere where you know it has to be there and you can't afford to go back to work three years after you retire, then you might want some or big part or maybe all of it in a safe place protected from market declines. That's what we do. You're not going to earn home runs. You're not going to get 25% rates of return. Never with us. Almost, well, never. Just not going to happen. You're going to average between zero and maybe 18, 15, 18 right in there. Realistically, count on over a 10-year period of time, somewhere between four and eight. That's what we're seeing today. Three to eight, four to eight, somewhere in there. Some years, nine, 10, 12, some zero, one, two. Maybe you'll get zero for three years in a row if the market is negative, negative, negative. Right? In 2000, 2001, 2002, we had a negative market. And people lost money. Negative, negative. They lost, 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 lost. Our clients went zero, 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 meaning Whatever they had at the beginning of 2000 is the same they had at the end of 2003, uh, 2002 rather, three years later, 2000, 2001, 2002. They didn't go up, they didn't go down. But as soon as the market rebounded and they started making money again, it was all new money. You see, with us, it's new money that is added to your account, not the money that they took out last month. Not like it went from 100 down to 80. Oh, it went up to 85,000. And your broker calls and says, oh, we just got you $5,000. Like, no, no, no. You just gave me my own $5,000 back. Because remember, I gave you 100. 
And I shared with you that how good of salespeople they are. This is incredible. We have a client who's going to start income. Well, a potential client anyway. It's going to start income next month. Uh, next uh, in two months. The end of February. And he says, Eric, if I start income in the end of February, maybe I wait till May. I'm not really sure. But what if I start income and with this particular account that I just got, can you review it? Because we do second opinions. Can you review it? I go, yeah, let me take a look. I go, did you know your broker is going to make $1,100 a month from your account? Somebody is going to make the company, your broker, somebody, his supervisor, I don't know. They're going to take from your money 1100 and change per month, and then they're going to give you $1,400 a month. You make $1,400, they make 1100 That means the pressure on that account, that means the negative on that account is 2500 <clears throat> excuse me, 2500 a month. That means it goes backwards 2500 a month. So in order to just break even the next month, it has to make 2500 For you to make a dollar, you have to make 2500 and $1. That $2,500 is every month and it's compounded against you. So if you didn't make it this month, well, next month you have to make 5000 Next month you have to make 7500 how quickly will your account go down to zero in this particular case? And we explained it to him. In fact, the people on the phone were from the company that he, ex- he currently had. It wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't, right? Because they go, oh, of course, Eric, you're going to say everything. Okay, I don't, but I understand how you might think that. So we don't do it. We put it on a speakerphone. We have a little form that we fill out. We call the company, not the, not the broker, the agent. We go around them because we want the truth, the non-biased opinion. And sometimes if the account is a good account, I'm going to say, keep it. That happens about once a week, twice a month. I go, hey, I wouldn't make a change. I like it. Sometimes I'm like, well, this is not a good account. We can make some changes. And in this particular case, this gentleman, well, one, he's scared of the broker. I'm pretty surprised, but he is. Well, Arif, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Arif, you know, he spent a lot of time with me. I'm okay with all of that, and I appreciate and respect that. That's very kind, because not everybody feels that way. But at the end of the day, you still have to look at it and say, why should the broker who's going to be sitting in Fiji or in the Bahamas or doing something somewhere, why should somebody make, I don't know who's making 1100 a month. Somebody is. He's probably getting 80 or 90% of it. But somebody's getting $1,100 a month. It's going away. And for you to take out 1400 means the account goes backwards 2500 a month. So I want you guys to be careful about these kinds of things because this is common. Our job is to get in there and make a difference. All right, I want to read this to you. This is a, an email from a client, uh, Mario and Charlotte. Charlotte is the author. I'm going to summarize it, of course, uh, because sometimes they're a little long. Uh, Dear Arif, my husband is 66 years old and he's retiring in January of 2023. So right now, she sent this a couple months back. Uh, in January 2023, from his job of 38 years. He will receive a pension of 3600 a month. We have chosen the 50% option for me. She's 63. If he were to pass away. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. I want to explain that to you guys. In the world of pensions, there are choices that you can make, usually four, five, or six different options. One of them is for you to take a lot lower amount, but your spouse receives the same amount when you retire, uh, when you pass away. So if you pass away, let's say 
instead of 3600 a month, she might receive, uh, and, and then she would receive the difference, about 1800 a month. He can say, no, no, give me 2900 a month, and then when I die, my wife will get 2900 a month. But it means for as long as he's alive, he's going to take a huge cut. Sometimes people will choose that. Sometimes they'll choose another option. So there's a bunch of different options. So when she says the 50% option for me, she's saying that when he passes away, if he passes first, right, she would receive half of that 3600 a month. Okay. We have about $380,000 in our retirement savings, but we want to use some of that to buy a house in Tennessee. His social security check is 3,200 a month and mine is going to be about 1,800 a month. My concern is that my husband is not that healthy and will most likely pass away before me. That's why we want to move to Tennessee as soon as possible. Mario and Charlotte. All right. So Charlotte, a couple of things. Number one, uh, retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, those kinds of retirement accounts are not, zero, not to be used to purchase a home. Never, not ever, not a little, not at all. You have to understand that. What that means, because if you take out 380000 to buy a house, you're going to only end up with about one hundred and sixty or 170000 The rest of it goes to the IRS and to the state of California, wherever you live. If you live in Tennessee, there, are, there isn't any state income tax. But my point is, you don't use retirement accounts to buy a house. That's saying I'm going to use uh, you know, I'm going to take a second mortgage on the house to buy a car. And look, many of you do that, but it's a very bad financial idea, very bad financial decision because a house is for a house. College funds, they're for college. Retirement is for retirement. And unless you're going to retire one month, you're going to want income for as long as many months as you're going to retire. So for that, for, for many of us, we're hoping to retire a lot longer than just one month. And I don't know how long Mario will, will live. I, I pray that he lives a long time. But if he's not that healthy, I might say, if you can still make a choice, I don't know if, if it's too late. Sometimes there are deadlines to send in this, this paperwork. But my recommendation is to take the 3600 and drop it a little bit so that your portion is higher. Instead of 1800 a month, I would want you to have a much higher amount. Okay, so I'm going to set aside that for a second, and I just want to talk one more, t- uh, a little bit longer about that retirement savings account. You can use it as an income stream to qualify for a higher mortgage, right? We can turn it on, twelve or $1,500 a month, comes out each month, that can count for your income. So see, Mr. and Mrs. Bank, I can qualify for a larger mortgage. I know you're not going to want a mortgage in retirement. Nobody does. But I don't want you to have zero savings and a house paid off. Because if you have zero savings, a house paid off, you can't take a piece of drywall to the grocery store. And I don't care if your home is paid off, you still have to pay property taxes, which is one of the ways the state of Tennessee gets income. Right? States choose one of three things. Income tax, sales tax, or property tax. Now there's other ways too, but those are the main three. So the problem with the state of California is we have high all three of those. The state of Tennessee does not have income tax, relatively moderate sales tax, but pretty high state property tax. Okay, so 
Even if your home is paid off, you're going to have property tax that you have to have cash, real money, dollars. So I would prefer you have cash flow each month than no money saved, but a house that's paid off. All right. Now here's the other, as we say, the elephant in the room, right? Here's the other obvious thing to discuss, which is if your husband isn't healthy, I'm going to need you to have monthly income. And one of the things I want to know, Charlotte, is how much do you need per month to live Assuming you're going to move to Tennessee, let's say that's a done deal. What does that look like? What does the monthly bills look like? I understand you're not there, but we're going to have to come pretty close. Because when your husband passes away, and it sounds like he'll predecease you, it's, it's a sad thing to say, but it, it happens. You're going to lose your $1,800 a month in Social Security, number one. Number two is you're going to receive about $1,800 in a pension. And you will receive his $3,200 in a paycheck. All right, so let's be clear. Right now, you're expecting uh, 68, 70, about 84, $8,500 $8, a month in income, right? So day one, he retires, let's say February, March, whenever you're uh, officially in Tennessee. And by the way, we have clients all over the country, so we can still be your financial professional if you choose. We have clients in Nashville and Franklin and Brentwood all over Tennessee, Knoxville for that matter. So eighty five, eighty six hundred a month is what you're going to be used to. Poof, he passes away. Here's what you're going to have. It's the reality, but here's what you're going to have. You're going to get the thirty two hundred, the higher of the two social security checks, and then you're going to receive half of his thirty six hundred dollar pension, which is eighteen hundred. So you'll go from eighty five hundred a month to somewhere in the neighborhood of five thousand a month. Okay, that's a big drop, guys. And Charlotte, at sixty three. Your life expectancy is somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 25 years. So we need to make sure that if you're going to take such an enormous pay cut, that that 380000 the job of that is to fill that bucket as much as you need. It's to fill that gap. That's the only way you're going to be able to retire and stay retired and not have to go to work. Right? If he lives, God, God forbid he passes away, but let's say he lives, God willing, life is great. You guys are living on 8500 a month and you're saving and life is good. Let that retirement account just keep growing. Don't touch it. How are you going to buy a house? Your house here. You had mentioned earlier in the email that you did have a home that you were going to sell. That is what I would use as a budget. So let's say you sell your home and you have about $400,000 equity. That's what you had indicated somewhere in that world. Great. Get that $400,000. That is your baseline to buy a house. That is plus what you can afford per month equals the total purchase price. So you go to a good mortgage broker and you say, Mr. And Mrs. Mortgage Broker, here's my scenario. $400,000 home equity when I sell my house in LA. And how much can I afford with a house payment of, let's say, $1,500 a month? Something, whatever you're comfortable with. I'm going to call it $1,500. And they'll say, oh, you can afford this much per month. Great. That's what you shop for. That plus the, the down payment of the 400000 And now you're in your realm of where you can find your house, what that looks like. But here's something that, that not a lot of people will share, and I think it's very important for you to figure out. If Mario is still employed, up to the day he's still employed, right? So if he's still working, and we're, right, we're the first day of January, so most likely he hasn't, quote, retired yet. Usually they, they wait a little bit. So what I would do is contact the group life insurance 
portion of his benefits. So human resources. And ask for the group life insurance. It's called portability. What that means is you have the ability to take a group plan, which is, hey, if you work here, everybody gets 50000 or 100000 or twice your income or five times your income, whatever their, the benefits are that they have. And see what it costs to automatically portability, to port it that over to a personal plan. One that's just under your name, no longer a group, but an individual plan. Because if you can do that, you ready for this? If you can do that, there's no medical requirements. It is now your plan, no medical requirements. And if he passes away, it is a tax-free money in your pocket to help pay down the house, to help give you a, a better income stream, whatever the purpose is of that money when the time comes. And if you have that as an option, right? If you have that as an ability to go and get that, uh, the group life insurance, it's going to cost something. It might cost $150 a month or something, you know, right around there probably. Well, that's fine. We budget for it. We make sure you can afford it. And now it sounds like with his health concerns, he wouldn't qualify on his own, but surprise, we can get this plan done. All right. That's what I like. Maybe it means you're going to have to, if you're not real comfortable with Tennessee, I'm going to tell you what all of you, all of you and, and others should do. If you don't really know an area, do you want to be on the north side of town or the south side? Did you know they're building a dump over there or you know a, a water sewage treatment plant over here? If you live there, you kind of know about these things. But if you're new to the area, it's difficult. Where's the traffic in the morning? Where's the traffic in the evening? Is there a gym or an organization, or a church, or a charity that you want to be a part of. What direction? Where is that? What part of town? The north, east, west? So you have to know, my opinion is, you should rent, at least for six months, probably a year. Right? You can pay a little bit more rent, but have a clause in there that allows you to get out at any time. 30 days notice, pay your penalty, and get out of the out of the lease if you want. Right? Let's say you you figure it out after eight months. Okay, now I know where I want to live. Real estate prices are good. Our savings is healthy. We know how much we can afford. Wonderful. So there's a way to put in your rental agreement an exit for, uh, you know, to get out a little early. You might have to pay, you know, an extra month in, in rent or something. There might be a little bit of a penalty, but you can get out early. I would do that. But I would first rent to figure out what side of town you want to be on, right? Figure out what the, the neighborhoods are like, what, what's more convenient to you, on and on, all right? The next thing is, as I mentioned uh, a minute ago, lock up that group life insurance into an individual plan. It's called portability. Can I port that over? Can I move it over into my own name as an individual? See if there is an allowance for that. See what the rules are and decide what that cost is and if it's something you can afford. Pretty important because if you can do that, well, might be the might be the answer for you. All right. Stay with me guys. Here's my number 888-99-RETIRE 888-997-3847. Reliable retirement income, that's what we're a part of. I have another email for you. Very interesting. This one is a, from a much younger person with a unique position. I think you're going to learn from it as well when we come back. The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Triple eight ninety nine retire. My email address is Arif at tfswealth.com. 
Stay with me. We'll be right back after the break. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arif makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back. Now Thanks for staying with me, the total financial hour. I'm Arab Halabi. Talking about your family's finances. Hey, you want to send me an email? You go to Arif at TFSWealth.com. TFS stands for Total Financial Solutions. But Arif at TFSWealth.com. Your questions, sometimes I can answer them directly. Sometimes I might say, hey, you know what? We need to set up a phone call because it might be a little bit more intricate. There's a lot of what ifs and if this, then that. And and it makes it a little easier. So sometimes we'll do that as well. All right. Hey, listen. Uh. You guys are are considering, many of you, when it comes to passing on money, I mentioned it in the first hour, to our kids, the next generation. But I want to go back and explain a couple of things. The laws have changed quite a bit. And even so they've changed, some things have stayed the same. And here's a couple of things that have stayed the same. When you pass on to the next generation, real estate, life insurance, or Roth IRAs, it is a tax-free transfer. It is a tax-free distribution. What does that mean to you? It means that this money comes from the organizations, wherever it is, again, life insurance, Roth IRAs, and poof, it's now in your name. You don't have to worry about filing it extra in your taxes or, or having to claim anything or, or withhold anything or what does that do to my other income? No, no, no. But when you pass on retirement accounts that have yet to be taxed, like a Roth, uh, sorry, like a traditional IRA, like a an account that is a four hundred one k, or you work for a city, state, county, it's called a four fifty seven. So any one of those types of accounts that have yet to pay taxes for you, the recipient. Eventually, they have, to be have, uh, they have to be taxable to somebody. So my recommendation is always this. If your goal is to pass on wealth to the next generation, number one, you need to make sure they learn and understand wealth. You need to make sure they understand what it's like to receive wealth, to, to, to grow it. Gener- generational wealth is not a normal thing. Generational poverty is a normal thing. It's the reason that three, four, five generations can live in the same apartment building uh, for uh, Section 8 housing, um, uh, welfare, uh, the the poor uh, recipients, right? This institutionalized welfare medical system because it's easy to continue poverty for the next generation. They do it often by calling them victims. And, and sometimes they're righteously are victims. But my point is, if if you can say I'm a victim, yeah, but 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 because of that, I'm going to succeed, or in spite of that, I'm going to thrive. It's much more difficult to get out of poverty than it is to stay in poverty. 
Just like it's much more difficult to continue and grow wealth and to create generational wealth than it is to stay with the status quo. Right? Most people don't even know that this is a thing. Wealthy people do. The poor mindsetted person, right? Using the rich dad, poor dad philosophy, the poor mindsetted person thinks anybody with money has to be bad or evil or dirty. Why? I'll give you a great example. I heard this, heard this from my own family, right? This, this is incredible. We know that, uh, here's a good example. You know, your dad worked hard. He's an honest person, works his tail off, loves his family, straight and narrow, not a drunk, not a drug user, not a womanizer, and could never have financial success. Oh, the kid across the street, down the neighborhood, whatever, friend, cousin, somebody else. They work hard. They're an honest person. They, they provide for their family. They're not a womanizer, not a drunk, not, a, not a, a, an addict. And he and his family have amazing success, financially speaking. What's the difference? Well, I know my dad is an honest, hardworking guy. That guy must be a son of a gun. He must be evil. He must be doing something wrong. He must be dirty. Because if you could do it based on being honest and hardworking, we would have done it. The guy across the street, down the neighborhood, he must be dishonest. He must be wrong. He must be evil. Why do you think most people today, if you ask them in a poll, are rich people, you know, uh, criminals? Do you think they got their money evil, dirty? Yes, 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 yes. Because they know that they're good people, they work hard, and they didn't achieve financial success. So that's got to be the variable. The difference is eh, they must be dirty, illegal, or doing something illegally, doing something incorrectly, doing something stealing from government, lying on taxes. and all. Why do you think they got mad at President Trump? Right? They, they would never praise him for being a, a great father, raising good kids that are not in rehab every six months. They would never praise him as a person who have hired and promoted more females in the area of executives, competent, not because they're female, but competent females in the role of executives of his different companies and corporations or minorities in his different companies and corporations. They would never praise him for that. All that is true. Instead, what they would do is they would go, cheat on his taxes. Well, why? Because he doesn't pay him. Those are the only two options. Pay everything in taxes. Or cheat? What if the answer is, well, maybe the kid down the street, hardworking, da-da-da-da-da, right? Not an alcoholic, his dad. Maybe, just maybe, he knows something about the financial world that the rest of society maybe doesn't. Oh, could that be? Maybe because the rules are written by rich people, and it used to be if you didn't have a cousin, mother, brother, sister, somebody in the system, somebody teaching you, if you didn't have that before, well, then tough luck, you didn't learn it. And generational middle class next. But today, information is free. Today, money is everywhere. In fact, there's so much money in the system, the Federal Reserve is pulling out around $100 billion a month from circulation. They're pulling it out of the system so banks, institutions can no longer lend it it's gone. A hundred billion dollars a month. And that's the way it was for most of 2022. Not sure if they're going to continue that. 
They should. There's way too much money in the system. But what does it do? Well, it can lead to recession. They're trying to balance this. I tell you, I don't think there's such thing as a soft landing. I just don't think they can do it. If they do, it's completely lucky. It has nothing to do with skill. Because there's so much, you know, kind of trying to pin the tail on the donkey in the dark. Right? The donkey's moving and you're moving at the same time. And, and everybody's wearing a blindfold and it's pitch black. I guess you could get lucky. I guess we could have a soft landing. I just think it's, there's way too many moving parts for it to happen. Meaning there's going to be suffering for who and how long, I just don't know. But I believe it's going to be there. And I believe it's going to be some level of substantial suffering to somebody. It's just we don't know who. So my point is, financial knowledge allows you to transfer wealth to the next generation. But you have to be deliberate in teaching it. Just like if you grew up in the projects, you have to be deliberate in getting out of the projects. You have to be deliberate in saying, I'm not going to be a part of that gang. I'm not going to deal drugs. I'm not going to uh, be bad in school because they think that I'm white because I'm, uh, you, you know, I, I speak differently or I'm bad and uh, good in school. I'm trying to give up my culture. None of that baloney. I've heard it all. I was a part of it all. Right, I, I was in areas where they would pick on kids, Hispanic or black or whatever, for, for not being, no, I, I don't know, for, for being successful. Right, the different science classes. And that's because at home, they wouldn't tolerate that. At home, they said, no, 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 I don't care what's happening at school. This is the way we're going to live our family. We're going to break the cycle. So if you are somebody that's like that, it's okay to pause, to go back to that daughter or son or nephew or niece and say, I know you've just been existing, you've been consuming, you've been this thing, but now you're going to have to be deliberate on your wealth building, be deliberate on your success. Okay, with that in mind, let me read you the email from Rob. Dear Arif, I'm 40, I'm 40 years old and I just inherited two different types of accounts from my aunt who passed away in October of this year. That was 2022. She died at the age of 71. One of these accounts is an IRA and the other is a non-qualified annuity. I'm not sure what I have to do with these accounts. I do not need the money right now, but I want to do the best I can with this money to honor my aunt. I have heard you say that there is bigger, that there is a higher responsibility with inherited money and a higher respect one must have for money earned by others yet spent by you. I love that quote. Can you please give me advice, Arif, on what you might think is the best use of these funds? The IRA is 290000 and that's from her old work retirement account. And the non-qualified annuity is $180,000. She initially deposited in that account around 100000 into that annuity. Look forward to your help, Rob. Okay, guys. So you see we have two things at play here. We have a retirement account. Now, what matters, and it's clear that he pointed this out, and he must have known, or maybe it's a, a guess, but her age is 71. If you are 72 or older, if you're in the required minimum distribution phase, and then you pass away and you leave that, that account to somebody else, they have to continue systematically taking out money in the required minimum distribution. There's a minimum they have to take out each and every year. 
However, all IRAs, 401ks, all retirement work plans have to be done, gone, zeroed, down to the last penny, 10 years and 10 minutes from the date of passing. The person passed away, 10 years and 10 minutes, that account has to be zero. You can take out a little more, a little less, a little more. If, in her case, his aunt was is under the age of 72, which she was when she passed away, then he can take out nothing next year, nothing the year after. A little bit more the next year. Oh, more, give me more, give me less. But 10 years and 10 minutes, that account has to be down to zero because it's an IRA. You're no longer allowed to do what's called a stretch IRA. Stretch IRA meant you could make the beneficiary a younger person, grandchild, for example, and they could stretch that income out for generation, forever, 50 years if they wanted. But who loses out on the taxes, right? The IRS, the government says, well, whoa, whoa, we want our tax money. We don't want to wait 50 years to collect our money from this account. This person wouldn't have lived 50 years. So we want our money now. So the IRS through a couple of the different tax bills passed over the last few years, says, here's the difference. At age 71 or 61 or 51, it doesn't matter, if the person passes away and the person who inherits it, they have 10 years and 10 minutes to take that account down to zero. So what do I do, Rob? Here's what I would do. Well, number one, are you maxing out your retirement account at work? You said you don't need the money, so you probably are comfortable as far as your own income goes. Here's how we would transition this account from your aunt's name under your name, where your rules now apply, and you can now pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. And here's how you do it. You deposit the maximum amount you're allowed to under your company's retirement plan. The maximum amount. Maybe it's $25,000, let's say. So you put in $25,000 into your retirement account. And you might say, well, Arif, I still need to eat dinner. I still have to pay for my kids. I still have to pay my bills. Great. Guess what you pull out of your aunt's retirement account, of her IRA? $25,000. So your earned income drops. So your income from your job is less because we drop by 25,000, but you still need to pay your bills. So guess what we increase from aunt's IRA into your account? 25,000. So the more that you put into your retirement account, it's like switching from the left pocket, putting it in the right pocket, left pocket, right pocket. So we're doing this, but we reclassify the account. So it's no longer under aunt's name. It's under your name because you have a job in which allows you to deposit money from your income. But on paper, it's coming from aunt's retirement account. It's it's now a distribution, now taxable as unearned income. Your money goes into the retirement account. Your net, what you still take home, what you live on, it's the same. Nothing changes. But we're shifting assets. We're shifting money around. Okay, pretty important. I like that idea. And I want you to know that because it is an account called an IRA. Now, let me be clear on a couple of things. And I know that uh, sometimes we mention it, sometimes we talk about it, but an IRA is this. In fact, if you listened earlier, I spoke uh, a little bit about the IRA uh, with uh, Larry Marino on Sunday Morning Newsmakers. 
So think about this. The IRA, the individual retirement account, is set up by you, the person. It's not set up by the company. The companies are the 401k or the 403bs. Those are company set up accounts. The IRA is you setting up, setting it up account. Now, it is just the tax conversation between the IRS and this account. Hi, IRS. This is a 403b. That means I work for a nonprofit or a school district. So tax me accordingly. What are the rules? Here are the rules. Here are the requirements based on that. What's the underlying investment though? Where's the money? It could be in an annuity. It could be in a stock bond mutual fund. It could be in this building. It could be in real estate. It could be in gold. So the IRA is the tax treatment of the underlying asset. The underlying asset could be anything, almost, not quite, but almost anything. So what it means is this, the underlying asset, that determines your risk. So you can have an IRA that's in a savings account at a credit union. Well, do you have any risk of losing it? No. Is it insured? Yeah. Are you going to make any interest? Not really. But it's still an IRA. You can now transfer that. It's a sideways move. Poof. Transfer that. Where? Into an annuity. Do you have any risk of losing it? Nope. If it goes backwards in the market, not at all. My point is, the IRA stays IRA, IRA, IRA. That doesn't change. The underlying asset, you can move around. Stock, rich, stock bond, mutual fund, gold, whatever you want to do. You can move that around. All right. That's important because you could also own a savings account that's not under an IRA, right? You guys have those. You could also own mutual funds, not under an IRA. You could also own an annuity, not under an IRA. Why do I say that? Because he has something called a non-qualified annuity. And here's what that means. The non-qualified annuity means it is not coming from an IRA. It's just money that his aunt probably, maybe she sold a house or just saved up the money or sold a rental property or chose to do whatever she wanted, but wanted to put that money safe and protected, earned a pretty good rate of return. She put about $100,000 in that account and it has grown to about 180. Now it's time for that money, well, he has to do a withdrawal, doesn't he? The non-qualified annuities did not change under the last rule. Under the last change when the IRS said you now have to withdraw all this money by 10 years and 10 minutes. Nope. You don't have to do that with a non-qualified annuity. You can stretch it. You can take a little bit at a time. So the account keeps growing and you take money out. It's like a little machine. Poof, makes money, take it out. Makes money, take it out. Now, there's minimums. But let's be clear. If she put in $100,000, that $100,000 will never be taxed again. The interest will, as ordinary income from him, but unearned ordinary income. So just the growth. That $100,000 will never be taxed again. So when he withdraws money, he has to. There's a, there's a minimum he has to take out each year, but he could take out a little bit more or even a lot more. Or he can cancel the whole thing. So he sent me a check. But if he uses it as a money machine, keeps growing and growing and growing, and uses it to live on, and he uses the IRA to transfer money into his own personal growth account, now his own beneficiaries, his children or grandchildren, when he passes away, could inherit 
his retirement account. So his aunt's money's legacy can go on for generations. For generations. And Rob, here's the key. Since you guys are... are comfortable financially speaking, right? You already are are normal and well, relatively uh, comfortable. I would ask yourself, does it mean I should buy a rental property? Does it mean I should invest in a duplex or a fourplex? Does it mean I should buy a life insurance policy and make sure my family's taken care of if I pass away early, right? You get an exponential growth, for example. Does it mean that I should put a college fund together for my children? These kinds of things are now on the table as an option for you because, as you mentioned, your aunt worked her tail off for this money her whole life. She never had children, was never married, made you the beneficiary. And I think going in with the mindset of honoring her is a very admirable thing to do. I think that's the right attitude. It's the right way to look at it. So what do we do with the non-qualified annuity? You're allowed to stretch out that income. It might be $200, $500 a month, something like that, $600 a month. You can use that to put into a college fund for your children. You can use that to exponentially grow your generational wealth by having life insurance. Remember, tax-free to your kids, tax-free to your wife. And the ability to use this money to even max out a Roth IRA. Those are all very valuable things that not everybody understands. And it gives you a chance to do things like this at an age when maybe most people your age are still struggling. Most people your age are not maxing out their retirement accounts. Maybe most people your age aren't able to put in the extra money. But in your case, you can. Because your aunt was vulnerable, was decent was hardworking and generous. And look, part of the difference is this, guys. The reason that they, that folks like that leave money to you, because look, your aunt or people like your aunt, Rob, they come into my office and they say, I want to leave my money. And I say, tell me about that person. And they tell me about that person. And I say, well, tell me what kind of, what, are they, what have they done with their own money? Well, they just kind of keep, keep seeming to get into trouble. They keep making mistakes. And well, you know, it's, and then they start to, run cover for you. Well, you know, it's that girlfriend he had or that boyfriend was just a lousy son of a gun. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. The boyfriend or girlfriend, they, they are who they are. The wife, ex-wife, got it. They're the, they, but your nephew or niece, they chose them. That means that's what they were comfortable being around. And 10 minutes after they found out they were a loser, they still stayed there. So that means, right? Losers feel comfortable around losers. I don't mean they're bad people. Just losers, financially speaking, right? Don't expect them. You can't expect somebody that is not comfortable with success or wealth to do good things the moment they receive your money. It just doesn't happen. They make dumb decisions and then they make bigger, bigger dumb decisions. And especially when they know better. That's my problem is they know better. Very few people today can say, oh, I didn't know. I'm not sure how to become successful. I don't know. Uh, retirement? What do you mean I can't use my retirement account to buy a house? People, people still think that they can take money from their deferred compensation plan at work. 457. My horizons. My, 
my deferred comp or, or my savings, my drop, right? My drop money from the city of LA, which is the deferred retirement option plan. They think, oh, I'm going to take out $200,000 and buy that vacation property. You can't do that. You will lose half of it. So once you now know that and you still make a bad financial decision, then I'm not comfortable giving you my money because you made a bad decision on purpose. You knew it and you still did it. That means you didn't respect it. And how much less are you going to respect my money? So I want you guys to be very intentional with the beneficiaries this year. Nobody knows when they're going to pass. Many of us listening today, some of you just aren't going to be here a year from today. Right? God knows, not us. And I pray that you have an amazing 2023. Right? The the country song that says, live like you're dying. It's important. It means live and enjoy and, and savor life and be a part of life where money is not all-consuming. I think if you can do that, and you can be intentional with the way you live, and you can reward and honor those that are very, very necessary in your life and a part of your life, and if somebody demonstrates that they are worthy of receiving your money, regardless of their relationship to you, I think you should make them the beneficiary. Thanks for being part of the show. Happy New Year. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, healthy, strong New Year. I will see you next week. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour. AM870, the answer. Don't forget, 888-99-RETIRE. Love to hear from you. Happy New Year. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.